Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back from um, our holiday break. Good to be connecting with everybody. So uh, Martha is not going to be on the call today, and um, Soki has the stomach flu, so she'll just be listening in, and I'm not sure if Ellie will be in because she's moving this weekend. Anything else I need to know about, guys? (laughs) Um, Um, I'm going to participate fully, but I am also completely laid out sick. uh Uh-huh. Mom, must be going around. Well, knowing that God is perfect radiance, beauty, and light, knowing this for us all, and uh, loving that we get to go into um, some more exploration of spiritual mind treatment. And I know we're just getting back from a break. Um, and I'd love to check in with each and every one of you at the class level. But we're kind of going to switch gears, and we're going kind of straight into it head on. So we're not going to do an official check-in, but we can check in through our shares and things like that. Because I'd like to start getting into the, con- Oops, sorry. Getting into the conversation of spiritual counseling. And... Uh, because we're in the new year and you all are going to start getting your spiritual counseling practical points. And uh, the requirement is 20 hours of spiritual counseling points to get your license. Um, Now, some people have shared that they're really doing this just for personal development and growth. And they're not really interested in, um, you know, like the having a license is not their drive, you know, driving force. And that's fine. Um, And I'll also say I still encourage you to get the hours because nothing will give you more insight to yourself than working with others in that capacity. If you're in the ministerial program, then it's a requirement. You have to get your license, and you'll probably have additional hours for your ministerial program as well. So just um, know that as well, okay? Well, it's 8.35. We're five minutes into it already. So let's begin, really um, center in with a blessing, and uh, we're going to quiet the mind a little bit, create the space, and then we'll dive into our conversation. Just taking a deep breath in, breath of gratitude. So grateful to be here again with the crew, with everybody. So glad to be 
joining in sacred circle. Replace anybody that's not here on the call in the center of the circle, knowing that where they are is exactly where they're meant to be. Grateful to be able to connect at the level of the heart. Hmm. So let's offer up anything that might block, any blocks that might prevent us from being fully present here. So any distractions around us currently, any, anything from the past that might distract us, any challenges that feel like they're taking up a lot of your mental and emotional energy. We place them in the center of the circle on the holy altar in your mind so we can alter our perception of them. See them for what they are. Cut the cords and experience our natural inheritance, joy and freedom and peace. And reminding ourselves that this is what we are, extensions of perfect love, children of God, knowing that all of the qualities of God are our qualities as well. And so we allow ourselves to embrace these qualities, to bring them forth and allow them to express freely as our life. We declare our worthiness to be teachers of God. We declare our worthiness to be channels of divine wisdom. Yes. And we lift up and hold in our minds, inspire spiritual community. Blessing every, everyone who's ever attended anything that we've ever done, anyone who ever will. Blessing all of our future clients and students, our ministries, our families, our friends, all of our loved ones. Seeing them bathed in the light this true light, the light of God. We're grateful to do this. We go forward with our hearts and minds open in perfect congruency. And in grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Now let's just take one minute. One minute. And if you're at all distracted right now, I just invite you to close the laptop or whatever it might be. And just sit with your spine erect, eyes closed, and breathe. And let's create the intention to clear our mind so that we may recognize the voice of our loving intuition, our inner guide, very clearly.
and take a deep breath in and release. <sighs> Beautiful. So since we are all here, let's just quickly go around the circle and do a 30-second check-in, a hello, and why don't we share something that we're grateful for in this new year. And we'll begin with Brandon. Hi, everyone. There he is. Hey, don't interrupt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I'm grateful in this new year that I'm able to find my mute button a little faster. Um, mm, powerful. Such a gift. Such a gift. Um, no, uh, I'm currently in Palm Springs. I did very, very heavy workshop yesterday. Um, and I knew it was going to be heavy and it was organic and beautiful. But um, it was still heavy, so I'm a little, there's a little emotional hangover from the week and weeks leading up to what we did yesterday, uh, yesterday, I'm grateful that um, sometimes when I ask for things to be set in motion, they are. So I'm also kind of terrified right now. But um, uh, I'm trying to make that exhilaration that I have move towards joy instead of fear. So that's where I'm at. Gorgeous, beautiful. Good to hear your voice. And I'm so happy that you're doing... Um, this work um, out there, I just can, I can feel the benefit that other people are getting from your sharing and your um, willingness to, to offer your gifts and talents. So it's really great. Thank you, Thank you Brandon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, I know you're not feeling well, but would you like to check in? Yes. Anytime I have the opportunity to speak, I will take it. Um. <laughs> I am, you know, just regular check-in. Everything's great. I got no complaints. I'm getting a puppy at the end of the month, and I'm super excited about the expansion of my family. And uh, in the new year, I am very grateful for and looking forward to uh, seeing seeing the result of my demonstration. Uh, I don't exactly know how to say it in the right words, but like, you know, instead of like setting goals and achieving goals this year, I just want to kind of like be and have things manifest. All right. We'll hold that for you. Beautiful. And it's good to have you here. And uh, knowing that you are, cleansing and clearing something out of your physical body so you can be even more pristine and um, clear as a channel of God's love on this planet. Yes. Uh, Mark. Uh-huh. Mark. Good morning, guys. Um, so I am so grateful for this, uh, this group um, and this community. Um, I've, I've been working through a lot of stuff around, uh, political stuff, um, and trying to find what to do with all of that good stuff. So, um, 
So just having you guys here to wake up to and speak with, um, hugely helpful after a night of very little sleep because of the stirrings in my head. So, uh, so I love you guys and grateful to be here. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, I hear that it's really, really um, uh, affecting you. So I'm going to really, I'll place a golden, uh, oh gosh, what do they call it? It's uh, some sort of like, it's not a sheet. It's not like a golden sheet, but it's some sort of like golden layer of protection. <laughs> and something like that. Golden sheet. Yeah, golden sheet. Yeah. <laughs> um, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, but uh, yeah. But just uh, I hear you. I hear you. It's going to be, you know, Mark um, and everyone, this is going to be a real point of uh, reference the next few years. It's people having a challenge, you know, with the political climate. And so we have to really be present with our own with the our own stuff that's coming up because you know it's going to be a point of reference that we can support other people you know and so pay attention to it for sure and also pay attention to how you're supporting yourself and feeling peaceful during it because that's what's going to really support other people so thanks for sharing for sure um, okay, um, Soki, I know that you have the stomach flu, so I won't make you share, but just know that we are loving you, and um, uh, yeah, and am I missing anyone else? Martha, are you actually on the call? I feel like I see another Southern California person. Oh, she I just want to say hi to everybody, so you can hear hi. my voice if I'm here. Okay, God Love bless you, all. Soki. We feel you, sister. And Martha is on the call as well. She found she found a headset, so we're we're almost a total group. We're just uh, Ellie is just uh, in the wings, but she's making moving, so we'll let her off the hook. Okay, guys. So <clears throat> let's talk about um, spiritual counseling. We're going to begin the officially begin the conversation of spiritual counseling now. If you can tell. Our Spiritual Resources is a book directed to the practitioner. So Goldsmith's books, mo- mo- a lot of Goldsmith's books are, um, trans- uh, are uh, transcriptions of, of teachings, of his, of his talks and his writings. Uh, this one specifically, um, in what I've read through Goldsmith, is really like a, it's like the handbook for the spiritual practitioner because it talks about treatment so much. And I have, I feel like it is, gives such a clear breakdown of what treatment is, what it isn't, how it's effective, how we do it. And there's a couple, you know, nuanced differences between someone who is like, for instance, a great example you know, Jennifer Hadley was a spiritual counselor, right? And um, she doesn't really see people that much anymore. Um, but she started a whole, you know, a whole training, uh, a whole program designed for counselors so she can 
if people want counseling, she has people to reference, you know, give them to, send them to. But um, she's a counselor, so you would come, you would have a session with her, and she would sit with you until she felt complete, you know, and um, usually it was an hour, you know, recurring session, but uh, occasionally, she, you know, she wouldn't rush it along if she didn't feel as though healing was, was done, you know. And, uh, but she would listen to what your challenge was. She would listen compassionately. You know, she would have Kleenex available. She would uh, have tea there for you and, you know, give you the space to really feel nurtured and supported and loved and heard and taken care of. And, uh, you know, always, always beginning and ending with prayer and, um, and, uh, yeah, so that's that spiritual counseling, you know. She would look for patterns. She would be listening for patterns, you know, listening for, you know, if you're ha- experiencing a challenge in one relationship, where else are you experiencing a challenge similar to that? And then the belief system or the thought press process would present itself, and then there was something to do, you know, some real healing work. And oftentimes she would suggest, different things you could practice on your own to support you in releasing, you know, the the belief system that was creating so much stress in your life. Now, Jacob Glass offers treatment, spiritual mind treatment. He's not interested in your story. He doesn't care. Um, He'll uh, sit with you, and again, he'll probably sit for... I mean, the thing with spiritual mind treatment is, as, as uh, Joel Goldsmith is teaching us, is you don't even really need to know the person's, what's going on with them to offer a spiritual treatment because we don't bring the person or the situation or the illness into the treatment. It's just an affirmation of the truth of God. And that's what the treatment is. That's the healing is you bring... Uh, you know, the full, your full attention onto God. And so the story of how you got to where, you're, where you are today is, has very little interest to Jacob. He doesn't care because he, he also believes that the more people tell their story, the more they stay in it. So he's more interested in where is it that you would like to go? What is it that you'd like to do? What is it that you want? And let's focus on that. And that's what where the direction of the treatment is going to go to. So the two similar yet different experiences. And we are, as practitioners, you're learning how to uh, become spiritual counselors and offer treatment. And when you get out there and you're sort of doing this on your own, you're going to discover sort of what resonates the most with you and the approach that resonates the most with you and um, you'll find your own sort of groove. But for the first, for these 20 practical hours, we're looking for spiritual, we're going to be focusing on spiritual counseling, okay? And the first thing to discuss with spiritual counseling is, um, and what I really feel uh, drawn to, and this is, we're, we're going to talk about sort of the anatomy of a session. 
I'm sorry, I need to write this down. Okay, so this is, you know, the sort of nuts and bolts of the um, creating the space for the session. This entire module, really everything that we've ever learned, that we've learned thus far, has prepared you to be, to do the session, the actual session, as far as listening, you know, and as far as incorporating tools to support um, another person in healing, right? But let's just talk about the official nuts and bolts of offering a session. And we're going to begin today with creating the space, creating a safe space. Beginning with the physical environment, the physical environment of where you offer a session. Okay? So what do you think are key elements to creating a safe space in, or, uh, in which to meet a client for a session? So using the, like, let's just assume for this example that the client is coming to you. So you're, you're having a space, and, and I also, I highly, highly recommend that for the most part, that they come to you, that there's a neutral space that you're not necessarily going to their home. Um, and we'll talk about that later. But So let's talk about, you know, the space. Like, what do you think makes a safe space for someone to come in and have a spiritual counseling session with you? Well, it needs to be private. Yeah. Who did someone else say something? I could say okay. something else. I didn't. Um, okay. What would you like to say? <laughs> I would say um, there's a sense of being cared for. Um, so sometimes it's really just. Um, being present like within yourself and clearing your own stuff so they really feel like you're available for them is really key to them feeling safe in that space. Yeah, beautiful. And why is that why is that important, Mark? Because um in counseling, you know, it's we're, we're there one for the client, not about us, it's about them. Um, and in mind treatment, uh, you know, if we bring our own stuff into the equation, well, we just multiplied the amount of uh, treatment <laughs> that's needed. So uh, we're <laughs> saving ourselves a lot of work if we keep it just with the client. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And also, you're the professional, you know. So you have so an uh, an there's an air of knowingness and that's actually in our homework review that we'll we'll get to in a moment you know it's a it's a essence of confidence which is an extension of the knowing the truth of the client knowing the truth of all people that has to sort of be there but what else just going into the environment the environment what what else 
creates a safe space to have a session. It should be clean, free of clutter, free there of distractions. Yes, clean and free of clutter. Beautiful. It should be clean and free of clutter. Absolutely. And why is that important? And the clutter can create distractions. Mm-hmm. People might feel, you know, uh, it, they, it might reflect poorly on you if your space isn't well kept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, again, we're creating a safe space. So it should be a space in which, and like Mark said, you know, you're inviting someone into a space in which they feel confident that you are going to take care of them, that they're safe. And so if your place is a mess or the place where you're meeting is a mess, then, you know, not only is it a distraction, but that also can cause one to think, like, what's, I'm, not, I'm not interested in hearing what this person has to say about anything. This person's a wreck, you know. So it is about, you know, letting go of as many distractions as possible, but also, you know, creating an, um, an essence of confidence and professionalism and um, safety, you know. What else? What else do you think needs to be present? Let me let me guide this in a bit. How can how do you think and I'm not saying that we have to serve tea and cookies and things like that. That actually might be a distraction, but how can we practice hospitality in the time that we have um a guest or a client? with us in our space. Tissue and water. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. In fact, I would say having spring water is important. You know, a glass of spring water is really important um, for them. What was the other thing you said? Tissue. Tissue and water. Yep. I'm so glad you said that. You're really on it. Yeah. So tissue is essential as well. You, um, uh, that's the secret weapon of any spiritual counselor is having tissue. It's having <laughs> tissue there. <laughs> it really is. Like, you got to have it. You got to have it. And you also have to have a waste basket to push the, put the tissue in because they need to be able to feel like, you know, they can put it there. And so these are all things that, like, we're, how we're playing it safe. Like, I always think, like, when you go to someone's home and they have, like, the guest bathroom and you go in there and let's say you're there. And I always notice, like, do they have air freshener in there for you? Do they have a plunger nearby? Like, these are all things that make your guests feel confident and safe. (laughs) Like, you know, in case something were to happen that could potentially feel embarrassing or whatever, you don't want to get distracted by those scenarios. And so little adjustments make things so easy. So having tissue is crucial because it might get emotional, but then also having a waste basket nearby where they can put their own tissue 
is also important because they just want to know that they're not going to make a mess or that you're not going to have to touch their snotty tissues. You know what I mean? Having a glass of water uh, prepared there for them is uh, is always helpful, you know, so they just feel taken care of. Or you can offer them water because a lot of times people will bring their own water and stuff like that, you know. But just having everything readily available and making sure the place is clean, making sure that it feels like there's good, it's not cluttered, so there's good flow going on. These are all really important elements. Um, if possible, now listen, I know that we don't always get to choose the space, like if we're renting office space or something like that, and there might not be natural lighting in the space, but we can do our very best to make sure that it's well lit too. You know what I mean? Now, let's talk about burning incense and sage. Now, I think it's very important to clear the space, but should should there be incense or sage burning when the client comes over? I would say no, because what if people have a strong reaction to it? Yep, exactly. We've started getting to the point at Inspire now where we we use LED candles because we've had people come up and say that they're sensitive to the smoke of the candles. You know what I mean? And, you know, you have to feel into like, okay, are they just someone that's complaining or what? But, you know, again, even at Inspire, we need to make, do our best, just do our best to make sure that everybody feels safe, you know? And the incense and the sage are a big thing. And, my husband will fight me tooth to nail to this, but because he loves burning that stuff like crazy. But like you, you do it. You can do it. I think you can do it in ceremony if you let people know. But when you have like the larger group, you're probably never going to get away with it because someone's going to have a reaction to it. And I've had people have really intense reactions to smoke and sage smoke and all that stuff. And sometimes, you know, is it their own sort of thing that they're that they've created as a way to get attention and make a scene? Of course. Of course it is. But that's just a distraction to everybody else. So we just do our best. Now, if you'd like to clear the space and all that stuff, fine, great, do it, but do it before they arrive, you know? So nothing should be burning. There should be no smoke. I don't even suggest candles in the space, you know, unless they're LED candles, if you want to create atmosphere, because these are all things that can be a distraction to people. And you really, you know, you want to spend the least amount of time um, having to take care of them in that capacity. You want to get to the session. You know what I mean? Great. So <clears throat> that's just step one is creating the space. We'll get into the actual session work and all that stuff, but um, I'm going to create a little handout about the anatomy of a session, which will go through, you know, um, the steps of when they walk in, like preparing, when the client comes in, you know, how do you, you know, what's the skeleton of the actual session, and then when they leave, to follow up. So we'll, we'll, we'll break that down and then fill it in, of course, with the actual work of the counselor. But today I just wanted to talk about creating the space. 
And Jesse, um, can I clarify that? Um, are you saying that we should not be counseling over the phone? No, I'm not saying that at all. <clears throat> I'm okay. not saying that at all. And we'll we'll get to, we'll talk about counseling over the phone probably next week. Uh, and uh, but no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I, I do a lot of counseling over the phone, but there's a way too to create a safe space over the phone and on Skype and things like that as well. So, okay, <clears throat> any questions about creating the environment, the environment of a spiritual counseling session? Beautiful, so I'm just gonna review really quickly what we said. So to create a safe space, it should be private, um, it should be um, you should be able to have a sense of hospitality that um, and that you're prepared yourself. So uh, I mean, you can even ask yourself about you know the attire that you wear. Like, what are you wearing? You know, does it you know is it dirty? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, be presentable enough. Be be the best version of yourself. You know what I mean? Um, so be prepared and uh, have a sense of hospitality. Make sure that there is water available, tissues available, there's a, that there is within their eyesight um, a garbage can or something to dispose of the tissues. Um, make sure that there is ambiance, you know, to the best of your ability. But no smoke, nothing burning, nothing that can irritate asthma or allergies. So things to consider when preparing the space. Okay. So I'm going to invite you to uh, pull up as your reference uh, last week's uh, worksheet, which is Module 5, Week 5. Module 5, Week 5. And it was attainment through prayer. Attainment through prayer. It's actually last month's worksheet, so you had a, a month to do this. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, let's begin. We the first part of the worksheet was a couple of um, words to be defined. So um, let's start there. So please define the following, Brandon. What is the definition of mysticism? Hi, Jesse. I don't know, and I'm trying to pull up um, something on my uh, computer, but my internet's not connecting in my hotel room. Can can I pass on this question? Yeah, sure. Why don't Thank we go you. to sure. Uh, Mark, why don't you go through the definitions? So there's uh, four definitions. So why don't you lead the way on this one for number one? Uh, okay, I will, uh, with the disclaimer that some of these definitions I really couldn't find in the reading, so I don't know. So I kind of created them on my own. I don't know if we were meant to or not, but here we go. Okay. Uh, mysticism is the practice of uncovering and consciously aligning with truth so one may understand and experience their oneness with God. Metaphysics. Yes. Yep. Well, hold on. So can oh. you, re can you um, 
read that one more time. Okay. Mysticism is the practice of uncovering and consciously aligning with truth so one may understand and experience their oneness with God. Beautiful. So what's the, what's mm. the word to really consider with mysticism? You have it in your definition. And it's not, I mean, God, obviously, but there's, there, there's uh, something else in there. Oneness? Yes, 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 exactly. So mysticism is really about the unveiling of our oneness, the recognition of our oneness. And so we talk about non-dualism, meaning that God is not outside of us. So mysticism is, you know, like A Course in Miracles is a, a mystical text. It is designed to, through the atonement, to remove or undo the blocks that are preventing us from our awareness of our oneness with God. And so mystics are, uh, mystics and mysticism is really about, you know, what connects us? What is it that flows through us? What is that, you know, that undeniable truth that, is within each and every one of us. And that's sort of what mysticism is, is the exploration of oneness, oneness with God, which we understand now to be God. And so it's the deepening of our understanding and awareness of that. So that's mysticism. Cool? Cool. All right, let's move on. Metaphysics. Okay. Uh, metaphysics is a philosophy that investigates the fundamental natures of being and the world that encompasses it. Metaphysics attempts to answer two basic questions. Ultimately, what is there? And two, what is it like? In Goldsmith's terms, metaphysics is the philosophy of the one body, God identification, being expressed as multiple bodies, ego identification, and the reconciliation of that misperception. Yeah. Yeah. So metaphysics and mysticism are closely connected, if not basically the same thing. Um, uh, it's beyond the body, you know, uh, beyond the body. So like <clears throat> uh, beyond the physical body. So in essence, beyond the ego, you know, and so um exploring again the uh truth that connects us all you know beyond the perception of our separation or ego identity beautiful beautiful great great uh great mark really great so um inertia okay Inertia is the tendency to remain in a continued state of still non-change or motion change unless that state is changed by outside force or influence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so it. Un- I, I, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's unchangeable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you looked up like the basic... Webster uh, definition would be a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged, to remain unchanged. And so why do you think it's 
why do you think we have that that word on our list of definitions that we want to be clear on? Well, because there, well, the, I mean, there's multiple ways to look at. It. So on one hand, if our our truth is oneness with God, then our inertia is that. The, uh-huh. it, it, only reason we would ever experience not oneness is if we actually something on the outside, you know, we bring something from the outside to change that, that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then vice versa in treatment, I guess if, if your state is, is separation, then your experience is going to be separation unless you bring something else into the equation to change that experience. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Yeah, so in essence, it's about the absolute truth that cannot be changed by anything in the physical, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so no matter what happens in the physical, the truth remains the same, unaltered, unhindered. And it continues to, inertia can also talk about like um, the inability to stop the motion, right? So it's, you can't stop or contain the expansion of God. Nothing can, right? Even though we we feel limited, we feel stuck, that's just a misperception. And so it's about transcending that into the, um, you know, unchangeable expansion and creative essence of the divine. Beautiful. Cool. Cool. And... Spiritual bypassing, which is not in the reading, but it's a common um, it's a common phrase used in uh, spiritual communities and training. So, what what's the spiritual bypass? Well, the way I attempted to define it was uh, spiritual bypassing is the use of spiritual philosophy, principle, or practice to not be in true practice with that spiritual philosophy, principle, or practice. Yeah, pretty much. In essence, it's denial. It's living in denial. You know, it's not dealing with something by brushing it off by using spiritual language. You know what I mean? So like, um, you know, not dealing with the root cause of your upset because, you know, oh, it's, it's a negative belief or it's, it's something that, you know, it's bad energy or whatever that might be. Or, you know, I think a really great example of a spiritual bypass that I'm really, I've been really thinking about lately is that idea of, you know, how we think that, oh, we got to get the toxic people out of our lives where in essence that's, you know, and you get a lot of support from that, from people being like, yeah, that's so powerful. Wow. You know, you're being so great, but really that's just a spiritual bypass. Because you're bypassing the cause of that, which is yourself. You know, it's not them, it's you. And um, if you're really interested in creating change in your environment and all of that, it's about, it's an inner, it's about the inward glance. You know, it's about shifting your belief systems, your thoughts, and allowing your world to be a reflection of that because our world is always just reflecting our inner life to us. So, um, that's an example of a spiritual bypass. Does anybody you have know, anything else? That, go ahead. Go ahead, Jen. Yeah, I had never heard this term spiritual bypassing, but 
uh, after looking into it, I think I could uh, successfully teach many, many, many courses on this topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about like, I'm not dealing with that because it's bad energy or it's low vibration or everything's fine. Everything's good. I'm keeping my mind positive and just focused on the good would really yeah. be like you're deeply scared. And so it's not accepting. It's, it's not being present. It's not accepting what is coming up in your experience, your bypass. Yeah. And what happens when we don't. Yeah. The last 35 years of my life, this is basically what I've been doing. Oh. So I was like, whoa, okay, uh, it has a name, and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, Stop it. Interesting, because um, it's interesting because Brandon submitted his answers, and all he wrote was Jennifer O'Brien under the <laughs> definition of that. So I was like, that was, the, <laughs> it was the easiest way for me to describe it, and I'm a visual type person. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's move on to number two. So, Jennifer, why don't you tackle number two? How does Goldsmith define evil? Evil is never anything other than a temptation, a suggestion, or an appearance. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. I, I, to elaborate, uh, you know, it's on page 83 of chapter um, of the um, spiritual resources. I, I love this line. I think it's so great. Evil was not and never has been a power, but only a belief entertained in human consciousness which acted, which acted as power so long as the belief remained in consciousness. So the more we understand this, the less it has an effect on us. I mean, true freedom, guys, true freedom is to be able to transcend the fear of death through the awareness of our true identity. So if we can transcend the belief that we are this body, truly transcend that, and then understand that everything in the physical realm is the manifestation of thought forms, so thought forms arising, then we begin to see, I mean, and Mark, this may be the solution to the overwhelm with the politics and the political uh, uh, and the, polit- the political landscape of the country is just uh, accepting that it's just thought forms arising, manifesting in the physical. But they're just thought forms. And the thing about thought forms is that we can change our mind at any time. And that's why Venerable will say something like, ugh, we don't even talk, po-, you know, grandmas and grandpas don't even bother with politics because it's the same conversation and it's never going to change as long as it's the same conversation. You know, something new needs to emerge. But what she's referencing is it's just the manifestation of thought forms. And so a lot of the spiritual teachers or the people that got really invested in it and say this is bad, this is evil, it's making it real, you know. And so we have to be able to address the effects that it's having in the collective without giving it too much power. You know what I mean? And so we have to acknowledge that it's, okay, if we, if we see that it's not this evil army coming to take everything that we hold dear, then we can see it as thought forms arising. And so how do we, like remember during Ask the Elders, Fred Wilkie said something so brilliant when we asked about how do we work with, you know, how do we work with the 
the political landscape as it is, you know. And he said, the job is to focus on your own spiritual practice, your spiritual unfoldment. So why do you think he suggested that as a solution to being to uh, supporting change in the political structure? Why did he say, well, it's about truly about empowering ourselves to deepen our own spiritual practice? Why did he suggest that? Because our, our, thought, our thought is what manifests form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if we uh, begin to shift our own um, thoughts, then a new form will arise. Yeah. You know, you know, guys, it's like, you know, when you, we, we talk a lot about, like, holding the vision of the life you're interested in living and going towards that vision. So during that process, you know, as you stay firmly focused on your goal, on the vision that you're holding for yourself, for the world, for your families, for your love, all that, as you go towards it, whatever, what Whatever it is that's preventing you from experiencing that in this moment will come to the surface so you can look at it, address it, and release it, right? And so I truly believe that's what's unfolding right now in the collective consciousness on this planet. You know, that's the most powerful country. This blatant acts of corruption and, and, and you know, misogyny and sexism and all the stuff that, you know, that this, that this Trump symbolizes, you know, we have to be able to see his perfect innocence in this, but also understand that that thought form, that belief system, that consciousness, it's coming to the surface as we go towards the vision of world peace, because there's so much more light in the collective now that whatever it is that's preventing us from experiencing that now is just coming up so we can acknowledge, look at it, address it, and then release it. And I really feel like that's what's happening. And when you hold it like that, then it doesn't have any power over you. In fact, it just reminds you to deepen your own spiritual practice, you know, to go deeper so that you can be a voice of, you know, we can be the lighthouse. We can be the lighthouse. Can, can, we, can we talk a little bit around that one? Yeah, for yep. sure. Um, you know... As I share, I shared on Tuesday in the support group, like, you know, there's so much for me, like, of, I don't want to say trying to figure out, because there is no figuring out, but there's, like, this space between, you know, wanting to place guards at my mind of what do I, I give attention to, and not becoming the hermit, running away from and avoiding everything. Um and, you know, as I shared on Tuesday, like, I, uh, I'm challenged with that. Um, I'm challenged with that personally, but I also am thinking about it as, like, a practitioner and, you know, as an evolving minister. Like, my world is going to be a world where people are going to be bringing things to me. People are bringing things to me right now um, as a coach, so I can't even avoid it. And the avoidance option I know is a disempowering place to be. I don't want to be in a place of avoidance, but... Like, even last night at dinner, I went to birthday dinner with a dear friend of mine, and I had no interest, but, of course, the conversation with Trump came up. And 
I was doing my best to hold the space because they were in such a fear place about it of like trying to be the one to hold a little space of it isn't as bad as maybe we're making it to be and, and let's, let's see how things pan out and let's focus on what is good. And I hold that space, but it just kind of, in an ironic way, kind of turned into a bit more of an argument than really a loving dynamic, um, which when I realized that was happening, I, I kind of like, okay, just let's end this. But when I came home and last night, I just felt this heaviness and this dirtiness of what that other person was going through, you know, like, and kind of taking that in and then not knowing what to do with that. And I, I just, I, I have this, and I know it's ego, but there's this thing of like, oh my God, like, it's exhausting every single day. I'm having this experience and I'm just like, it's drainingly exhausting that in every way I, where I turn throughout my day, there is this constant trigger that as much as I can do all the releasing and letting go and prayer, and that's all great, it's, it's still it, it's showing up and showing up and showing up and showing up. And I was like, I just don't know where, when, how to have a break from it. So that's, I'm not sharing to dump that, but I'm just sharing of like that's kind of where I'm really looking to find that peace and and being like I don't I know I have to practice I know I have the tools but even with them this feels like it's so much that's out there right now and so much present like I just feel like I'm drowning in it. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, you know I really. I'm going to really ask you, you know, like in that, in your description, you said there's prayer, there's all that stuff and that's great, but um, which felt a little, not dismissive, but, you know, these are the tools that we have to support us in transcending the appearance of, like, you know, Goldsmith is saying, you know, it's just the, it's an appearance, it's a consciousness and that's what it is. And so right now, honey, you know, like we just talked about, you have to deepen your spiritual practice. You've got to, like, it's got to be something, you know, if you're feeling, and you're, what you're feeling is the collective energy, the collective fear, but it's your spiritual practice that supports you in transcending that. It just is, you know. It's like whenever I go to a Marianne Williamson lecture and someone gets up and starts talking about, you know, the challenges they're going through or they're upset or whatever, and she goes, are you doing the workbook? And they'd always be like, well, no. She goes, okay, then we don't really have anything to talk about because there's your solution is the workbook. And so the solution is the spiritual practice. You know, I can, I can read news stories now and look at the ridiculousness of it and look at the, the blatant corruption, look at the, uh, you know, the dishonesty and all the ways that it does it. But I'm not getting super reactive of it because I just see, I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, what would we expect? This is ridiculous. It's, it's all of that stuff coming to, this is the manifestation of it. This is what it looks like. This is what the manifestation of hate looks like. This is what, you know, um, and I'm not going to let it convince me. I, in fact, I kind of laugh at it now because it's so ridiculous. And yet, I would say that more than ever now, I'm, I'm in more practice now than I've ever been in my life. And it's so I can be a space where I can support people 
more, you know, that I'm not going to buy into it. I'm just not going to buy into it. And so all of us, you know, on this call, everybody in this, in this program, we have to really, but for reals this time, really explore what is your morning practice look like? And where could you deepen your practice to support yourself and not going crazy because the environment and the energy out there is intense. And in order to really be of service to ourselves and other people, we gotta, we gotta stay firm in knowing the truth. And, you know, as far as supporting other people and all that stuff, you know, you can't tell me that Venerable is not a huge support to people and she ain't watching the news. She ain't getting all the details of all the different ways that fear is manifesting because she sees it as simply that, as fear manifesting in form. And we don't have to have all the clear different ways that it is doing it. We understand that it is, but we also know the solution. And if you feel, and this is important too, like if you are doing your work and you feel inspired to get politically active and you can do so peacefully with clarity, then go towards it. That's your inspiration leading you to where you need to be so you can support, you know, the, uh, the awakening of all people. You know, we have to listen to our guidance so we can be where, where we're meant to be so we can be of support and help. But um, on the same note, you know, if you don't feel drawn towards that, you don't have to. I know, Jennifer Hadley isn't watching the news, you know, and she's being a huge support. You know, she's bringing a lot of light into the collective. Jacob Glass is not watching the news. He could give a, he care less about what's happening. And he's helping so many people transcend their fears and their worries. So the belief that we need to know all the specific ways the ego is manifesting is bullshit. It is. You know, if you feel drawn to it, great. Do it, but, you know, do so uh, in a loving way to yourself, which is, you know, you got it. You got to be able to see it for what it is and not get pulled into it, you know. And, um, and, you know, guys, like I said, you know, part of what you're going to be called on, Mark's not joking, like part of what you're going to be called on is to support people through all the stress they're experiencing because they're watching the news. You know, the news is stressful. It's stressful, stressful, stressful. The new reports are coming out that, you know, like, an incredible percent of people suffering depression is our news watchers and an incredible percentage of the people that are on the streets yelling insanity and crazy things are things that they've seen on the news. And so, uh, you know, we know as practitioners that where we place our attention multiplies. And so in our lives, in our daily practice, this is the time y'all, this is the time. Do the workbook in A Course in Miracles. Deepen your meditation practice. Deepen your prayer practice. Find ritual in your life that can be that feels supportive in you. Like things that you can actually offering practices, things you can do with your body that feels as though you're off, you know, it's your way of offering peace to the collective. Pray for your family. Pray for Trump. Pray for our politicians. You know, this is, this is the work. The time is now. Um, because it is intense. It is intense. But with that said, uh, it's only intense because we're believing it. And there's a lot, the more thought, the more focus there is on 
how awful it is, how bad it is, how this is going to be a bad thing, the more they're going to experience that. But we don't have to participate in that. You know, we get to, we get to hold the truth and the light. And that's how, you know, we don't have to be afraid. You know, that's why I said, you know, once we transcend the fear of death, trans- transcend the belief that we are these bodies, then we can be more courageous because it doesn't matter what happens. We go forward. We stand in love as love. And love is not puny. Love is not weak. We can take a stand and say, that is not loving. You are hurting people. I'm not going to stand for that. We're saying no to that. You know, that's what the rally on the 19th is, is to remind ourselves of the power we possess as a community and the collective. So what we do as activists and activationists and spiritual teachers and leaders and counselors, we hold the truth, unwavering in it. But you gotta, uh, the only way that you can become unwavering is to spend time with God, you know, at consciously connecting with God, clearing the mind. So, um, I mean, that's what we got, you know. These are the tools we have. Time to use them, really time to use them. Does anybody uh, else have anything they'd like to share on that? I'll just share that. Uh, really glad that Mark brought that topic up. Definitely in a similar place. Happy to uh, hear this teaching this morning. So thanks, everyone, for it. Okay. Um, okay, so, I mean, it's kind of a perfect follow-up, you know, to the conversation on the worksheet where it says, what realization does Goldsmith say we must have to correctly approach any and every form of evil? Any and every form of evil. This, the first full paragraph um, uh, okay, let's say this. Uh, I'm going to read. I'm, I'm going to read page 89. So I'm going to invite everybody to uh, open your ears and hearts so we can really embrace this. An understanding of these principles enables us to withdraw from the battle so that we do not fight evil. Thereby, obeying Jesus' great teaching, resist not evil. The moment that we come into the presence of any form of evil with a relaxed mind, a mind that does not attempt to jump up and begin battling and denying it straight off, we are ready to see it dissolve into its nothingness. But if we take out our mental sword and begin to deny and argue against the evil, or if we attempt to overcome some power, we are lost. The correct way to approach any and every form of evil is with the realization the cause is causeless, an appearance, uh, an appearance, an impersonal source of no power. This is the healing principle of the infinite way. It is not a truth that overcomes error, nor is it a God that will reform, heal, support, and supply us. The God of the infinite way is already maintaining and sustaining us in our spiritual perfection. And our task is to awaken from the belief in two powers and begin to honor God by respecting the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt acknowledge no other powers beside me. 
How can anyone fear an evil power if there is only one power, and that one power is God? So this is our work, y'all. This is our work. Kind of leads us perfectly to number three, is what determines the efficacy of a treatment? And this is all kind of a review of our first module with Ernest Holmes. So, Jennifer, what determines the efficacy of – wait, did you just go, Jennifer? Uh, yes, I did number two, but happy to participate. Well, <clears throat> would someone else like to, like to take a swing at number three, what determines the efficacy of a treatment? The degree of realization determines the efficacy of a treatment. Bam. Yeah, it's your knowingness, guys. It's the knowingness on the side of the practitioner. It's your knowing the truth that determines the efficacy of the treatment. <clears throat> you know, there's that great, I think it's Ezekiel. Was it, who Brandon, you can help me pull from your Bible experience. Who did Jesus raise from the dead? Lazarus. 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 Yeah, yeah. Lazarus. Now, did Jesus... Now, wasn't it true that Jesus... They came to Jesus before he was dead and said that he was going to die. He was very sick. I vaguely remember the story right now. Sorry. Okay. Well, let's just say that that's how it went down. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but he did. Yeah. I. I, I'm. It's in my version. Uh, From what I, I I remember a lecture I was at. They were talking about this, uh, this story, Lazarus, and uh, they came to Jesus to say Lazarus is sick and dying, but Jesus let him die. And then he went to the sisters, and Lazarus was dead. He was in the tomb. And then he pretty much said, Lazarus, come out here. (laughs) And then Lazarus came out of the tomb. Now, Jesus didn't go into the tomb. He didn't even see the dead body. He just was outside and was like, Lazarus, come out here. And Lazarus got up and came out. So he didn't go to the level of belief. They, everybody believed that he was the body and the body was dead and Lazarus was gone. Jesus didn't even go there. He didn't even need to see the dead body. He didn't go down to the level of the fear. So we don't have to bring ourselves to the level of the fear to understand it. We don't have to bring ourselves to the level of the problem to be effective. We stay at the level of truth and we just know the truth for everyone. That's how we are most effective. That's the land of milk and honey. That's where we, we are in the state of miracle readiness when we stand at the level of truth. So finding out all the details and all the, I mean, that's the thing, like Jacob always says that when, you know, you ask someone what they want, they always tell, they start with their story. They can't just tell you straight up what it is that they want. I want to feel successful and fulfilled in my career. No, they have to go with, well, you know, I never got the degree, 
that I should have got. And then I, you know, my father was always telling me how I'm a loser and I'm never going to da da And he's like, okay, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not interested in the story of why you're miserable. I'm just interested in what it is that you'd like. And he said that it's almost impossible for people to go to share that without the story as to why it's not possible for them, right? So we don't, we're not interested necessarily in the story when we're doing treatment. And we never bring the situation and circumstances of the story into the treatment. We keep it firmly focused on God, on truth, because that's where the healing, that's the source of the healing. And that's why we don't even need to know the person's name. We just know the truth. Towards, you know, like, um, like when the goldsmith was really in his career, he would see over 100 people a day. Many of the, uh, you know, and he was known for miracles. Like, you know, people were experiencing miracles as a result of his treatments. And oftentimes he said that the people that would have the most, the quickest turnaround or the quickest demonstrations were the people that he would uh, just get their, um, just get their names over the phone. And that's all that they, that's all that he would get, you know, and he would just go into treatment and prayer for them, affirming the truth. And they would call back a half hour later saying, Oh my God, he, it's a miracle. He's a, he's a magician, you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, it's, it's the ego that would make you think that you have to know the details because the fear resides in the details. And, and, but it's just fear. It's just a fearful thought form manifesting in the material realm. And it comes from the same place. But we think we have to know all the different ways that it's manifesting in order to be well informed. It's just not true. You know, it's just not true. What it is is fear manifesting itself as fear. Now, if you, we have to like work through all of our beliefs and all that stuff about being, you know, spiritual and cut off and delusional and all that stuff because that's what the ego would want us to believe that if we're not invested deeply invested in all the ways that the that this is manifesting then we're just being delusional but we're not we're being diligent okay it's 9:42 we went a little over from what I wanted to do so let's take 3 minutes Let's come back at 9.45 and dive into A Course in Miracles, okay? We have some reading to do. So uh, <clears throat> three minutes, and I'll see you back here at 
Okay, guys. So we are going to um, get oh, – hold on. Uh, hold on one second. Sorry about that. Got a little disconnected there, but now I'm here. I forgot the truth, and now I'm back. I remember. Now I'm back and I'm connected. <laughs> okay, uh, so <clears throat> we are going to read section 21 in Manual for Teachers. What is the role of words in healing? What is the role of words in healing? So um, just going down the attendees in class, who can read uh, today? Me, I can. Jennifer, Mark? I can. Okay. Brandon? Brandon, you there? Yeah, I can. Okay. And... Uh, Martha, you're, I believe Martha cannot, Ellie, you're listening, and Silky is trying not to throw up. <clears throat> okay, so the reading order will be uh, me, Brandon, Jennifer, Mark. Okay, me, Brandon, Jennifer, Mark. And we're going to read through the entire section, uh, so please take notes along the way, and then we'll go and we'll discuss it. Uh, we'll break down paragraphs, okay? So, uh, 21 in Manual for Teachers, what is the role of words in healing? Strictly speaking, words play no part at all in healing. Gosh, I feel like we could just end it there. That's all we have to talk about. (laughs) Okay, let's let's try it again. Strictly, Strictly speaking, words play no part at all in healing. The motivating factor is prayer or asking. What you ask for, you receive. But this refers to the prayer of the heart, not the words you use in praying. Sometimes the words and the prayer are contradictory. Sometimes they agree. It does not matter. God does not understand words, for they were made by separated minds to keep them in the illusion of separation. Words can be helpful, particularly for the beginner, in helping concentration and facilitating the exclusion, or at least the control, of extraneous thoughts. Let us forget, however, that words are but symbols of symbols. They are thus twice removed from reality. 
As symbols, words have quite specific references. Even when they seem most abstract, the picture that comes to mind is apt to be very concrete. Unless a specific, unless a specific referent does occur to my, the mind in conjunction with the word, the word has little or no practical meaning and thus cannot help the healing process. The prayer of the heart does not really ask for concrete things. It always requests some kind of experience. The specific things asked for being the bringers of the desired experience and the judgment of the asker. The words then are symbols for the, for the things asked for, but the things themselves, but stand for the experiences which are hoped for. The prayer for things of this world will bring experiences of this world. If the prayer of the heart asks for this, this will be given because it, this will be received. It is impossible that the prayer of the heart remain unanswered in the perception of the one who asks. If he asks for the impossible, if he wants what does not exist or seeks for illusions in his heart, all this becomes his own. The power of his decision offers it to him as he requests. Herein lie hell and heaven. The sleeping son of God has but this power left to him. It is enough. His words do not matter. Only the word of God has any meaning because it symbolizes that which has no human symbols at all. The Holy Spirit alone understands what this word stands for. And this, too, is enough. Is the teacher of God, then, to avoid the use of words in his teaching? No, indeed. There are many who must be reached through words, being as yet unable to hear the silence. The teacher of God must, however, learn to use words in a new way. Gradually, gradually, he learns how to let his words be chosen for him by ceasing to decide for himself what he will say. This process is merely a special case of the lesson in the workbook that says, I will step back and let him lead the way. The teacher of God accepts the words which are offered him and gives as he receives. He does not control the direction of his speaking. He listens and hears and speaks. A major hindrance in this aspect of his learning is the teacher of God's fear about the validity of what he hears. And what he hears may indeed be quite startling. It may also seem to be quite irrelevant to the presented problem as he perceives it and may, in fact, confront the teacher with a situation that appears to be very embarrassing to him. All these are judgments that have no value. They are his own, coming from a shabby self-perception, which he would leave behind. Judge not the words that come to you, but offer them in confidence. They are far wiser than your own. God's teacher have God's words behind their symbols. And he himself gives to the words they use the power of a spirit, raising them from meaningless symbols to the call of heaven itself. I think that Jesus, who is, you know, writing the course through Shookman has a wicked sense of humor. I just think he's so funny. <laughs> like, the more you read it, he's just like, you're crazy. Just FYI. Just so, so you don't forget, like, you, the perception you have of yourself is absolutely nuts. So, uh, just stop. <laughs> it's so funny. This, um, uh, this chapter reminds me a lot of the first chapter of the Dao Te Ching that the Tao, uh, 
Whoa, wow. someone's making a lot of background noise there. Uh, reminds me of the first chapter of the Tao Te Ching where they talk about the Tao that can be named is not the real Tao, you know. It's mm-hmm. because these these are heart teachings, they're not word teachings. People have to be able to listen to the words with their heart and not be distracted by the words themselves. Uh-huh. Who else got something out of this? Yeah, I, I just love the quote, words are symbols of symbols. And I remember when I first heard that, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm so confused, and that makes so much sense. And uh-huh. um, because it's like, what the hell? And even just, like, on a very, very, like, literal way, in a very, very literal way, like, I never know when people are, are talking about things what their insides are actually feeling in response to the words that they're saying, you know? And that just goes back to the feeling of, or whatever um, Jen was saying about the uh, the knowing of the heart kind of thing. It's like th- th- we, we've, we communicate so little with our words at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I'll say I, uh, I, uh, do the the other class that I participate with, I do a lot of um, teachings from documents that have been translated from Chinese into English. And so the words are weird. You know, the words are choppy. The words are, um, and, and I have to constantly in classes call people's attention to the fact, to, to look past the word that this translator chose to try to help translate the text, you know, and try to look past the words um, we had an interesting one the other day where we were talking about um, repentance, but they were using another word, and I can't remember the word at the moment, but it was like a very Catholic word for repentance that has like a lot of, you know, in America has a lot of connotation as like negative guilt, all this stuff. And I had to like, we really had to get the whole group on the page that, that the word wasn't important, like talking about what it, what is the translation and what are other words that could be used to try to get people out of the mindset of this, like stereo, this word that had so much stereotype to it. Well, it's like the atonement with uh, Course in Miracles. You know, atonement has a lot of that Catholic um, guilt stuff wrapped up in it. And, uh, it just means the undoing. It's the undoing of the ego, you know? Um, so the prayer of the heart versus prayer with words. I think we, um, I think Mark was the only one of you, you guys that was at service last week, but we talked about that, you know, this idea of, you know, we're going to pray for more money. I'm going to pray for more money. I need more money. I need more money. I need more money. What are you actually praying for? What, what, what do we think that the money is going to bring us? Ease, comfort. Ease, comfort, yeah. Freedom, right? Freedom. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the prayer of the heart has nothing to do with the material world. Prayer of the heart has nothing to do with the material world. So if you're praying for a better career, like, you know, I want a better job, I want whatever, whatever, 
it's it's important that and especially you know when people come to us as for support and you have a client that's asking you to pray that they get this job it's important to hear into like really hear in what's the, what's the prayer of the heart here because the prayer of the heart like god doesn't care if you have that job or not and i don't even know if that job is the best thing for you how could i i don't have a crystal ball that can see in all directions of time and space but I also hear the prayer of the heart that's coming forth for you is, you know, a sense of security. What you're interested in is a, is a feeling of worthiness to be loved and respected now. And so we have to be able to translate that, sort of get, you know, we, that people project spiritual qualities that are, co- that are calling to be experienced and expressed onto stuff. But the stuff isn't going to save them. We know that. So what's really being called forth to experience? And then we, we, we speak into that in the prayer. And then I love how this goes into as well, saying we hand it over. You know, we do two prayers in spiritual counseling. The first prayer is, is the opening blessing. But really what that is, is the practitioner's uh, it's the practitioner handing over the session and the prayer to the Holy Spirit, to God, to your inner guides. So it's really the handing over. And then we do the treatment at the end, which is just the, again, we hand it over, but it's just the affirmation of truth, this declaration of truth, you know. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I've had many talks on Sunday that, like, I thought I was going to talk about one thing, but I always hand it over before I do it, and I end up talking about something completely different. And I was like, oh, wow, I guess I wasn't supposed to talk about that today. But it's about developing a sense of trust with that process. Because, you know, we're not doing the healing. We're we're the vessels of it. Like Jesus said, my father through me, my father through me. Any other thoughts on this section? Okay, cool. Um, Next section, 22. How are healing and atonement related? So, Brandon, why don't you begin? How are um, healing and atonement are not related? They are identical. There is no order of difficulty in miracles because there are... There are no degrees of, of atonement. It is one, the one complete concept possible in this world because it is the source of holy unified perception. Partial atonement is a meaningless idea, just as special areas of hell and heaven is inconceivable. Accept atonement and you are healed. Atonement is the word of God. Accept his word and what remains to make sickness possible. Accept his word and every miracle has been accomplished. To forgive is to heal. The teacher of God has taken accepting the atonement for himself as his only function. What is there then he cannot heal? What miracle can be withheld from him? The progress of the teacher of God may be slow or rapid, depending on whether he recognizes the atonement's inclusiveness or, for a time, excludes some problem areas from it. In some cases, there is a sudden and complete awareness of background noise, 
no. Okay, there is a sudden and complete awareness of the perfect applicability of the lesson of the atonement to all situations. This, however, is comparatively rare. The teacher of God may have accepted the function of God, has given him long before he has learned. Oh, okay. The teacher of God may have accepted the function God has given him long before he has learned that he that his acceptance holds out to him. It is only the end that is certain. Anywhere along the way, the necessary realization of inclusiveness may reach him. If the way seems long, let him be content. He has decided on the direction he will take. What more was asked of him? And having done what was required, would God withhold the rest? That forgiveness is healing needs to be understood if the teacher of God is to make progress. The idea that a body can be sick is a central concept in the ego's thought system. This thought gives the body autonomy, separates it from the mind, and keeps the idea of attack inviolate. inviolate. Uh, If the body could be sick, atonement would be impossible. A body that that can order a mind to do as it sees fit could merely take the place of God and prove salvation is impossible. What then is left to heal? The body has become the Lord of the mind. How could the mind be returned to the Holy Spirit unless the body is killed? And who would want salvation at such a price? Certainly sickness does not appear to be a decision, nor could anyone actually believe he wants to be sick. Perhaps he can accept the idea in theory, but it's rarely ever consistently applied to all specific specific forms of sickness, but in the individual's perception of himself and of all others as well. Nor is it at this level of the teacher nor is it at this level that the teacher of God calls forth the miracle of healing. He overlooks the mind and body, seeing only the face of Christ shining in front of him, correcting all mistakes and healing all perception. Healing is the result of the recognition by God's teacher of who it is in need of healing. This recognition has no special reference. It is true of all things God created. In it are all illusions healed. When a teacher of God fails to heal, it's because he has forgotten who he is. Another's sickness thus becomes his own. In allowing this to happen, he has identified with another's ego and has thus confused him with the body. In doing so, he has refused to accept the atonement for himself and can hardly offer it to his brother in Christ's name. He will, in fact be unable to recognize his brother at all for his father did not create bodies and he so he is seeing his brother only the unreal mistakes do not correct mistakes and distorted perception does not heal step back now teacher of god you have been wrong lead not the way for you have lost it turn quickly to your teacher and let yourself be healed the offer of atonement is universal It is equally applicable to all individuals in all circumstances, and in it is the power to heal all individuals of all forms of sickness, not to believe this is to be unfair to God and thus unfaithful to him. A sick person perceives himself as separate from God. Would you see him as separate from you? It is your task to heal the sense of separation that has made him sick. It is your function to recognize for him that what he believes about himself is not the truth. It is your forgiveness that must show him this. 
healing is very simple. Atonement is received and offered. Having been received, it must be accepted. It is in the receiving then that healing lies. All else must follow from this single purpose. Who can limit the power of God himself? Who then can say which one can be healed of what? And what must remain beyond God's power to forgive? This is insanity indeed. It is not up to God, God's teachers to set limits upon him because it is not up to them to judge his son. And to judge his son is to limit his father. Both are equally meaningless. Yet this will not be understood until God's teachers recognize, recognizes that they are the same mistake. Herein does he receive atonement. For he withdraws his judgment from the Son of God, accepting him as God created him. No longer does he stand apart from God, determining where healing should be given and where it should be withheld. Now can he say with God, this is my beloved Son, created perfect and forever so. So this pretty much sums it all up, guys. This section right here pretty much sums it all up. I love, love, love how this is pretty much just repeating exactly what Goldsmith has written in the section we just, we just reviewed in um, our spiritual resources. It's saying the same thing. So I'd like to bring our attention to the top paragraph on page 56 where it says, um, he overlooks the mind and body, seeing only the face of Christ shining in front of him, correcting all mistakes and healing all perception. Healing is the result of the recognition by God's teacher of who it is that is in need of healing. The recognition has no special reference. It is true of all things that God created. In it are all illusions healed. Oh, I mean, just read that over and over and over again. It's so good. And the word recognition is a very important word to contemplate everybody. We're recognizing the face of Christ, meaning if you recognize something, what does that mean? It means you know it. Yeah, you've seen it before. You know it. And so it's, we are remembering the truth, right? We're remembering it. We're recognizing it. And it's, it's just what Goldsmith says. It's not bringing the person or the ailment or the situation or circumstance into the prayer. It's transcending all of that and going straight into the truth, right? It's the declaration of the truth. That's where the miracle resides. That's the healing. That's where it is. And so let's talk just a moment about illness because you know, this is a major one that people will expect to enroll you in and they're going to expect you to sign off on their story because how are you possibly going to argue with a diagnosis? I have cancer. I have cancer. You can't tell me that that's not true. So it's not denying the experience because the experience is very real and we don't want to you know, again, we want to be supportive and helpful, so we have to be able to acknowledge the, um, within the counseling session, we have to acknowledge the experience that the person is going through. And we can have compassion. We can have compassion 
for the upset that they're moving through. But we never affirm the realness of the disease. You know, never, 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 never. And so disease, and okay, so we say that all healing is at the level of the mind, right? So it's all about perception. Okay. So disease is evident that the body is creative. But the body's not creative. Only the mind creates. Okay? That's why all healing is done at the level of the mind. Now, we also need to transcend and this might not be a popular belief in some spiritual realms, but we have to transcend that Louise Hay book, You Can Heal Your Life, and that certain thoughts or certain resentments or certain whatever is manifest as certain illnesses. That's only true if you believe that. But it's, it's they, um, Mary Baker Eddy, who was the original sort of religious uh, science practitioner, they would call that... Um, metaphysical malpractice, that, that book. And, and Jacob always jokes that Mary Baker Eddy would have taken Louise Hay's license away if she were to have read that because it's making it real, first of all, and it's creating you know, a source for the manifestation of the illness, which is also wildly inaccurate. The disease is an extension of the belief of what? What is the disease an extension of? It's the extension of a belief, but what belief? Fear. Mm, no, but yes, yes and no. But I'm looking for a specific belief. Disease is proof of what? The belief in separation. In essence, yes, but what's the greatest symbol of separation we have? The body. Yes, spot on, dude. Yes. So disease is proof that we are the body, right? And also, it says this too, that it's believed that the body is creative. But if the body is creative, then that means the mind is a slave to the body, and it's just not so. The body is not creative. The mind is creative. So the mind manifests the appearance of the disease. The ego survives in the belief that we are separate as these bodies and that the bodies are real. And so it's our job to transcend that belief system entirely and to speak into the truth of our nature which transcends any appearance of body or separation in any way. So that's what we're talking about, about healing is done at the level of the mind. And that's what we're talking about, about disease. So disease is always an extension of the belief that we are a body. That's what it is. And so we don't have to be like, oh, it's money. Your fear of money is manifesting as lower back problems. That's bullshit. Okay, so let's just stop playing with that altogether. It's just... It's just not so, all right? Is healing done at the level of mind? Yes, absolutely. It absolutely is, but we don't have to try to, and again, it's that fascination with all the ways that we're broken and fucked up. 
You know, we don't have to go and explore all the many interesting ways that we have a belief in separation. Because if we begin that journey looking for all of the reasons why we're messed up and all the limiting beliefs and all these things, it's an endless journey. There is no bottom to that hole. Okay? So we shift our attention to the truth, you know. So we go towards the truth. We, keep, we stay firmly focused on God. But it also references something else about there's no level of difficulty in miracles. So Mark, to take it back to our previous conversation, what is a belief or something that you easily were able to heal or let go of or transcend and have sort of a healing in your life? Something really easy for you. Um, easy. Uh, <laughs> um, I've been able to heal or, or let go of a, a judgment of a friend that they did something to me. Great. So a belief that something outside of you did something to you, right? Yes. Okay, great. And how did you feel when you healed that, when you were able to practice forgiveness? Free. Yeah. So you were able to see the innocence in that person and you were free of the judgment that you had on, um, over them, right? Yeah. Great. Perfect. So since there's no level of difficulty in miracles, it should be, it's claiming that the same thing applies to Donald Trump and the whole political landscape of the country at this moment. You have just, it it can be, if you choose for it to be, just as easy to heal your judgments and all the things around that as it is to realize that what your friend did to you, he didn't do or they didn't do. So because it's all a thought, we like to think that some things are harder than other things, some things are bigger than other things, that this is really big and this is insignificant. But it's all the same because it's all dealing in perception. It's all dealing in perception. And the solution is always the same. Turn to God, turn to God, turn to God. Recognize God. Recognize God. You know, for me, I think... I feel that like, you know, we were talking last month or a couple months ago about um, body identification and like what, what would life be if, if I really embraced the fact that who cares if I have my body or not, like completely free of that, um, whether I'm physically alive or not. And I think some of that kind of comes back to, to, into this conversation. Um, which is good because I'm hearing it now. Because, yeah, there's something with, like, letting go of what my friend, I perceived my friend had done to me and letting that go and say they're innocent, they didn't do anything. What th- that level is not a level that I felt threatened physically. My body didn't feel threatened by it. It was more kind of a relational threat that I could l- more easily let go of. But it feels like with this political thing, environment, there's, like, this deeper physical threat like literally to my life. Um, and that's probably why it's feeling so much heavier and think more significant um, because it's, it's digging even deeper into that ego's body identification. So I hear that. Mark, you got it. That's it. 
you got it. That is exactly it. That's where you got to spend a little time contemplating. That is it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's why I said it's the fear of death, right? But it's the fear. It really what it is. It's the belief in limitation. It's the belief that we are these bodies. And it's the belief that freedom uh, is determined on where this body resides on this material plane. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. You uncovered it. You got it. You hit it on the head, dude. That's it. Really, something for everybody to contemplate this week, you know? Um, okay. All right, guys. All right. So, let's... Um, let me see. Okay, yeah. I have it down. One more... Uh, we have one more section, and we have 12 minutes, and we're going to do it. It's going to be great, and everyone's minds are going to shift, and we're all going to have a healing experience. Can't wait for it. So... 23, does Jesus have a special place in healing? Does Jesus have a special place in healing? Okay. God's gift, gifts can rarely be received directly. Even the most advanced of God's teachers will give, away, will give way to temptation in this world. Would it be fair if their pupils were denied healing because of this? The Bible says, ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Is this merely an appeal to magic? A name does not heal, nor does an invocation call forth any special power. What does it mean to call on Jesus Christ? What does calling on his name confer? Why is the appeal to him part of healing? We have repeatedly stated that one has perfectly accepted the atonement for himself can heal the world. Indeed, he has already done so. Temptation may recur to others, but never to this one. He has become the risen Son of God. He has overcome death because he has accepted life. He has recognized himself as a God created him, and in doing so, he has recognized all living things as part of him. There's now no limit on his power because it is the power of God. So has his name become the name of God, for he no longer sees himself as separate from him. What does this mean to you? It means that in remembering Jesus, you are remembering God. The whole relationship of the son to the father lies in him. His part in the sonship is also yours and has completed learning guarantees your own success. Is he still available for help? What did he say about this? Remember his promises and ask yourself honestly whether it is likely that he will fail to keep them. Can God fail his son? And can one who is one with God be unlike him? Who transcends the body has transcended limitation. Would the greatest teacher be unavailable to those who follow him? The name of Jesus Christ, as such, is but a symbol. But it stands for love that is not of this world. It is a symbol that is safely used as a replacement for the many names of all the gods to which you pray. It becomes the shining symbol of the word of God. So close to what it stands for that the little space between the two is lost the moment that the name is called to mind. Remembering the name of Jesus Christ is to give thanks for all the gifts that God has given you. And gratitude to God becomes the way in which he is remembered. For love cannot be far behind a grateful heart and a thankful mind. God enters easily, for these are the true conditions for your homecoming. Jesus has led the way. 
why would you not be grateful to him? He has asked for love, but only that he might give it to you. You do not love yourself, but in his eyes, your loveliness is so complete and flawless that he sees it in the image of his father. You become the symbol of his father here on earth. To you, he looks for hope, because in you, he sees no limit and no stain to mar your beautiful perfection. In his eyes, Christ's vision shines in perfect constancy. He has remained with you. Would you not learn the lesson of salvation through his learning? Why would you choose to start again when he has made the journey for you? No one on earth can grasp what heaven is or what its one creator really means. Yet we have witnesses. It is to them that wisdom would appeal. There have been those whose learning far exceeds what you can learn nor would we teach the limitations we have laid on us. No one has become a true and dedicated teacher of God, forgets his brothers. Yet what he can offer them is limited by what he learns himself. Then turn to one who laid all limits by and went beyond the farthest reach of learning. He will take you with him, for he did not go alone, and you were with him then as you are now. This course has come from him because his words have reached you in a language you can love and understand. Are other teachers possible to lead the way to those who speak in different tongues and appeal to different symbols? Certainly there are. Would God leave anyone without a very present help in time of trouble? A savior who can symbolize himself? Yet do we need a many-faceted curriculum, not because of content differences, but because symbols must shift and change to suit the need. Jesus has come to answer yours. In him, you find God's answers. Do you then teach with him? For he is with you. He is always there, always here. Jennifer teaches a lot about ascended masters. An ascended master is someone or, you know, a spiritual being who has had an incarnation or several incarnations on the earth and has achieved enlightenment, transcended, you know, the three-dimensional world and operates in the fifth dimension or above, but is still uh, offering assistance to those of us here in the third dimension. And for the longest time, I had a real, real resistance to that because it felt like, I mean, I'd read it, and, I, and she would talk about angels and your guides and all that stuff, and I would think, well, does she, like, really believe in that? <laughs> like, is there, I was sort of waiting for, like, the big reveal in which she was like, but these are just symbols, you know, or something like that. And so for the longest time, I had a resistance to it. And in the last couple of years, in reading the Course in Miracles, I have found references to ascended masters, you know, to those teachers of God that are have transcended, you know, the need of the body and are now still with us in the invisible realms, offering support and guidance when we call upon them. But what I came to understand is that we're all one. So the wisdom that the ascended masters have and offer us is within us. And oftentimes, it's helpful to have a symbol to work with in our practice that symbolizes specific qualities of God that we are interested in embodying and experiencing, right? And so 
we call upon the angels and the ascended masters and our guides, which are really within us, but we have a tangible um, symbol, something that we can see, something that someone that we feel like we're communicating with that represents the spiritual qualities that we aspire to remember, to recognize, and to embody. And so since we're all one mind, many people will have like experiences of the Archangel Michael and there'll be reports from different parts of the world in which similarly, uh, you know, a, a man with similar features is recognized, you know, and they declare that to be, you know, um, an angel or whatever. But we're all one mind. It's all in the collective consciousness, right? And so when I was, when I finally realized that I was able to work with the ascended masters and angels much more easily because I understood that they represent aspects that are within me. They're aspects of the God mind, of God consciousness. And if it supports us in creating personality around them and appearance around them, then who cares? So what? They're just symbols. And in essence, that's what this, um, that's what this, uh, section is teaching us that Jesus was a man that transcended the limitations of the body. He transcended body identity and is in the collective conscious here to offer support. In fact, has manifested as a course in miracles. This teaching worked through that consciousness, worked through Helen Shookman and guided her in the composition of this beautiful text, which so many people are getting so much support from. And so the Course in Miracles references angels as the thoughts of God, thoughts of God. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to consider. So are they here to support us? Absolutely. You know, Jesus is what we would call an ascended master that, you know, has transcended the limitation of the body and works in the invisible to support us in the atonement, the unlearning of the ego belief system. And we can call upon Jesus or any other guide, angel, ancestor that works in the light to offer support to us. You know, the way I sort of play with it sometimes is when I contemplate testimony of light and, you know, how there are are other realms where people are continuing to uh, peel off the layers of separation, but can also feel connected to others. And so I just see them there offering support, connecting. Sometimes I imagine, you know, I do some work with the sacred flames and each flame has their own ascended master. And I feel them sitting next to me in meditation or practice, merging with me energetically. And it feels very supportive, uh, very loving. So there's no wrong way or right way to do it. We connect with God in the way that feels the most comfortable to us. But to revisit our earlier conversation, it's important now, guys, especially at this point in the game, you know, that you really make time to connect with God, you know. Um, and the more that we do this work, you know, your your actual you know, practice will evolve and grow. And truly, our life is our practice. And yet, you know, in these times, I find it to be wildly supportive to 
learn how to quiet the mind, to quiet the mind so we can recognize the gentle guidance of God. Do we have any final thoughts in today's class? Well, I'll conclude by saying I'm really looking forward to um, uh, to uh, the retreat coming up, the second through the fifth. Um, I will be sending out a bullet-pointed list of everything that you'll need to be fully prepared. I'm also going to invite people, if you'd like, um, to make an additional donation towards the retreat to go towards uh, practitioners that may not be able to afford the full cost at this moment, you know. Uh, and so if you'd like to make an additional um, donation, just go to the link with the, um, the retreat. I'll actually post the link in our Facebook group immediately following class. So you can just go there, click there, and make an additional donation. It's really helpful for people sometimes and, uh, you know, just makes it easy on others. Um, we all do our best, and we're such a generous group, and I'm thank- thankful for each and every one of you. Um, do we have any prayer requests? Um, yeah, I mean, healing my own separation and <laughs> uh, he- healing my own experience of my body. So you're sick this, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I want to cool. feel better. <laughs> there you are. All right. Rockin'. Yeah, for, for me, it, it will definitely be to uh, have uh, peace in the midst of uh, conversation and living in the world. For sure. All right. Well, listen, uh, we join me, guys, if you can, by just placing a hand on your heart. Let's just take a moment to ground in our heart space, our loving intention. Grateful to be able to lean into the group dynamic, to be supported by our spiritual community, our brothers and sisters on the path. Mm, so good. And we just offer up anything that would keep us away from peace, any thoughts, any unloving habits, any beliefs, anything from the past that is creating weight or distraction, we lovingly offer it up. Let it go. We cut the cords to our past and past life experiences. We release ourselves from any vows we've made in the past or past life experiences, vows of poverty, vows of revenge, vows of chastity. We let them all go so we can be free here now in this moment knowing that God is, God is, God is light. God is perfect love beyond that which we can even comprehend, but we allow it to express now in our lives, as our lives, freely, freely transcending the appearance of anything unlike God. So knowing that where Jennifer is, God is, where Mark is, God is, where Brandon is, God is, where Martha is, God is, where Silky is, God is, where L.E. is, God is, where Jesse is, God is. God is Godding beautifully through us. We allow it now to just express and shine. We embrace our luminosity. We go forward allowing the light of God to guide our next step on the path 
we are grateful to do so. We send this light, we see this light in all of our brothers and sisters, especially our LGBTQ brothers and sisters all over the planet that feel alone, that are suffering, that are afraid. We know that where they are, God is, God is, God is, God is. And so it is. Amen. All right, everyone. Well, I look forward to connecting with you soon. Um, you can make that extra donation on the Facebook group. And also, Fridays, 8.30 a.m. is the practitioner call. If you can be on it, please uh, put that in your calendars. It's really helpful to have practitioners on there holding the space for the community. I love you all so much, and I look forward to connecting with you real soon. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.